0: Listener
1: production. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool and your host for The Good Oil. Now, if you're late to this podcast, I hope you're not, I hope you've listened to the old ones, but if you are, you may not be familiar with the phrase. So giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff and the real stuff, which is exactly what we try and do with this podcast. We bring you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, and experts, the people who know what's going on, and the people who make things happen. Now, today's guest is someone who really does know what's going on. You know that because he's been with us before. In fact, we last spoke to Craig James, the Chief Economist of ComSec, back in August 2022, and we thought, given what's happening at the moment, it was well past time that we brought him back. Craig, welcome back to The Good Oil.
0: Well, it's good to be back. I don't know whether I am yes one of your experts or know what's going on. I mean, Philip Lowe is the one to speak to, but apparently he's got some problems in terms of working out what's going on as well.
1: And uh, also, problems about whether or not he is genuinely the expert to take us forward. If you, uh, if you believe the tea leaves, that uh, Treasury Chambers may be deciding to go in a different direction, as they say euphemistically these days. Uh, Craig, there is a lot going on, mate. Let's start with uh, Phil Lowe, of course, because that is interest rates. That's the big thing that we're all talking about. Uh, I was going to ask you up front, mate is Phil Lowe getting interest rates right?
0: Well, I think he's rolling with the punches. I think he's you know, sort of taking on the information. And unfortunately, all the information is, is surprising. You know, so some mm. um, months it's surprising on the upside, some months it's surprising <laughs> on the downside. So, yeah. um, and I think all central bankers are in this same situation where you – know, and it's a, an odd situation. It's not a normal downturn. It's not a normal response to, to lifting interest rates because we've got that small matter of – COVID, which, you know, sort of upset, upset the apple cart. So uh, I think he's doing the best job that he can um, in the circumstances. And he's uh, honestly, you know, sort of trying to you know, sort of consider all the informo- information. But, you know, the bottom line for all central banks is uh, inflation is public enemy number one. We need to get you know, inflation down to, to more stable levels, anywhere between 2 and 3%, depending on which central bank we're talking about. Uh, and that's, that's the goal at the moment.
1: Man, let me let me drill into that because you are absolutely right. Of course, you're right. But but uh, just for our, for our listeners, central banks around the world have been very very clear about inflation being public enemy number one. The RBA's statement every month um, has has for the last I don't know how long, maybe ever since they started raising last May, has has used the phrase "whatever it takes." Now they're not qualifying that. It's not "whatever it takes" except a recession, or "whatever it takes" except unemployment rising, or anything else. It is literally whatever it takes. I, I have to believe that is a genuine sentiment rather than just jawboning. They They genuinely believe that's what needs to happen. Now, we're recording this on the 16th of June, and yesterday, outside on the 15th of June, we found out New Zealand has spent the last six months in recession, uh, two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. Uh, that that The RBNZ, the, in theory, uh, believed it was worth that risk to get inflation down. Maybe just tell us, if you can, to the extent you disagree or agree, by the way, feel free to do that as well. Why is inflation enemy number one, given everything else that's happening in the economy?
0: Well, the problem is inflation. Yes, it is something that we don't want to continue at yes you know, sort of higher levels, and um, uh, course, it means bad things for, for people's you know, sort of wealth levels, bad things for people's standard of living, and, and it must be you know, sort of rooted out. to you know, so get down to a more stable level of between yes percent two and three percent. And as I said, you know sort of um, some central banks like you know, so the US are focusing on two percent as' the goal. Uh, the reserve Bank is saying well two to three percent and we'd be happy with three percent and basically they're putting a lot more stock on holding on to the gains in terms of the the job market. We have got full employment in australia we've got an unemployment rate sitting somewhere around about three and a half percent. Um, it is a strong you know, sort of a result. It's good that people you know, sort of are able to find work and, and get jobs. And what he wants to do is get inflation down, but also protect to some extent the the legacy that you know, sort of uh, he's likely to leave. You know, so the the fact that the job market's in great shape.
1: Let, let me ask you directly mate is that the right approach if 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 you get the tap from from jim chalmers in a couple of weeks time and say look craig uh, we need to drag you away from Comsec. you're gonna to have to run the the rba for us for a few years um is he doing it? Is he's doing the right thing the right way what's your sense and i'm, I'm asking you to be unfair a little bit you know phil has got the world on his shoulders but but just from from a from an outsider's perspective uh, is, is he a, is he is the aim the right aim and then is he going about it the right way
0: um, I, I think um, he is. I think he is. But you know, sort of a, one of the. If I, I had you know, sort of caveat you know, so there. What we've learnt you know, so from policy back in you know, so the the seventies, eighties, nineties. even you know, so that if we're multi-focused in terms of our determination. Uh, we look at, you know, sort of two goals. One is getting inflation down to 2 to 3%. We have another goal, which is leaving the job market in good shape. Sometimes they can be at cross purposes and uh, we may not achieve both ends, you know, sort of if we, we have two um, uh, focal points rather than, you know, so just one focal point. So, but... Um, uh, I suppose what we've also got to consider is what the, the Reserve Bank's mandate is. And the Reserve Bank's mandate is that they've got to you know, sort of um, you know, protect the currency. Yes, you know, so the currency is you know, it's important. It, inflation, yes, you know, sort is of super important. And in terms of um, the prosperity of Australians through the, the, the overall economic growth and the job market important you know, as, as well. So, um, so yeah, he, he has got some risks there you know, sort of by saying – yeah, we want to protect, you know, unemployment and, yes, you know, to keep that you know, jobless rate low at the same time trying to drive down, you know, inflation. And and he really doesn't want to see a recession. So, in other parts of the world they say, well, look, if it takes a recession to get inflation out of the, the system, that's what we're going to do. And uh, uh, different boards, of course, we can't just talk about, you know, Philip Lowe, it's the, the Reserve Bank board making the determination different you know, so central bank boards are going to have you know, sort of different focal points. You know, sort of, so um, I tend to, to believe you know, so what he's doing you know, so at the moment. Why? Because if we think back before COVID, you know, so he took us through from 1991 back to, to, uh, right up to the COVID times without a recession. It was a world economic performance, you know, sort of number one performance you know, sort of any economy in the world to have that long a run of um, years without a recession.
1: Man, let's let's go back to that then, because people will say that okay, maybe he's doing the right thing now, but he's having to do this because of. The the easy money policies that were rates were too low for too long before, during, and after COVID. Um, I, I will editorialise slightly and say perhaps they were gun shy, having been through the GFC. They were so desperate to avoid another recession. Maybe they left things a bit too accommodative for a bit too long. hindsight's always twenty twenty. I'm, I'm loath to criticise Governor Lowe and the board, as you rightly say, mate, because. I don't think it's a fair thing to do. And I think it's a very reasonable uh, point to make that they don't know what hindsight's going to tell us until obviously after the fact. But given that, given, given that kind of circumstance, it, how much of the seeds of this hiking cycle, to use the, use the jargon, are found in rates being too low for too long during COVID? And how much is just, hey, you know, once in a century pandemic, uncertain circumstances, forecasts for economic calamity if they didn't do enough? How do you kind of, in, let's be unfair, let's use hindsight and, and ask ourselves, you know, what, what could they have done differently had they known?
0: Yeah, if they had have known, they would not have um, cut interest rates as low as what they did, and keep them as long, low for as long as what what they did. Uh, and I think all central bankers are saying yes, amia culpa. Yes, I got it wrong. Yes, sort of, uh, I didn't realise yes to how things could change in such a short period of time. I suppose what we do is we've got to take our minds back to to when COVID yes was running rampant, and um, there were fears about yes the end of the world yes, as we know it. Um, one of the the big changes that happened, and one of the things that we can blame the uh, our, blame uh, it on, yes, if we're going to blame blame anything, is the the fact that uh, we had a um, cure for COVID within the space of twelve months. Never before have we seen a pandemic where effectively, yes, we, we had the cure, we had the ability to be able to get back to work. You know, so, so much in our hands, so 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 quickly. And it looked like you know, to the end of the world. Then along came yes, the vaccines, and people yes were quickly back at work and spending money again, back in their their workplaces and spending spending money. The problem is not everyone was coming back to to the workforce, particularly in terms of the manufacturing type areas. Uh, they weren't producing the goods that you know, so the people who were back at their work wanted wanted to see. So what we had is strong demand, not enough supply, driving up uh, prices, um, and. Um, uh, now we're in you know, so the, the period of time where we've got goods inflation back under control, so supply and demand have broadly come into balance. But yes, one of the, um, the stubborn features in terms of the, the whole episode is the fact that um, services inflation is continuing to run along at a very fast rate. And uh, that's one of the, um, the things that we're going to learn from this experience, that you know, sort of goods and services inflation you know, sort of are completely different animals. Yeah, you know, sort of. Uh, when we're thinking about how we have
1: to attack them, that is a fascinating point, man. I haven't heard it expressed that way. Um, maybe you can break it down for us. I, you, you've done a lovely job of talking about the some of the goods inflation being kind of supply chain related, and that you know this is the challenge I think with the economy effectively at capacity. You've talked about full employment. Um, trying to, you know, the, the job of capitalism is to put the right goods in the right hands at the right prices. Uh, things kind of, you know, broke a little bit for a while there because of COVID and because of the, the, we got so used to not having redundancy in the system that once it was all of a sudden required, we had to really scramble to kind of catch up. On the other hand, there is that services inflation, which uh, I guess is, is, we can't blame, you know, oil prices or, or war in Ukraine for, for the services inflation. Can you kind of compare and contrast those two to what degree are there similar causes? To what degree are they completely independent? Um, how do those two kind of coexist in, in your mind?
0: Well, yeah, there are a couple of features, you know, so there. One is, you know, so the pure aspects of, of COVID. And I suppose, you know, so the, the car manufacturing is very much, you know, sort of a, a good example of what, what went on, you know, so the cars weren't, weren't being, you know, sort of manufactured. So in other words, we... um uh, people who wanted to buy cars couldn't get cars and of course they went to used cars instead which were in abundance around the place and ended up driving up the the prices of that but supply and demand equaling price you know sort of certainly had worked in, in a number of markets and one was the car market you know sort of um, uh, you just couldn't get the supply of used cars you went to an alternative used cars and you drove up the, the, the price um I think the other thing is, as you mentioned, the war in the Ukraine, yes, that was a complication. So an added complication in terms of um, uh, central banks trying to, to fight inflation, uh, not just you know, sort of in terms of oil and gas and energy prices, in terms of agricultural you know, sort of products you know, sort of as well. Um, but we got through that period and came out the other side. But the other thing that's been occurring as well is OPEC has had this determination to keep down, yes, you know, supplies uh, and force up uh, prices. And uh, we do know oil prices, um, the, the price of uh, petrol and diesel, uh, are very, very important and you know, sort of right the way across the economies. And if we had the, 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 basically the market being able to, to work you know, sort of more effectively between supply and demand and not being artificially constrained by, by OPEC, we would have had the oil prices being driven down to lower levels um, and plenty of supply out there, not, not enough um, demand prices, yes, you know, sort of down. And, and those cheaper energy prices would have then, you know, so be able to translate in terms of keeping down the rate of inflation and would have made it e- easier for central banks to be able to achieve c- control. So I think OPEC didn't do the world any great favours by, you know, so their the policies of um, constraining, yes you know, so the amount of um, oil output and forcing up energy prices more generally.
1: And fair to say, they probably don't still care that they had that impact because they got a lot of money in the in the door uh, by taking advantage of of that, and maybe uh, maybe maybe they'll pay, maybe they won't. It Depends how the energy mix changes over time. When it comes to then local inflation, mate, I, you know, a lot of people said at the time, why would the RBA put up rates when inflation is being imported? Oil prices, wheat prices, you know, th- these were international factors. Why would the RBA do the job? Now, I'll, I'll throw my two cents in. You can tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, two things were, obviously, it's one of those, it's a bit like climate change, right? If everyone says someone else should do it, no one does it. If no one does it, it's out of control. But also, my, my, my stronger argument or the view I've put again, maybe incorrectly, I'll let you tell me, is that they were most concerned about the transmission mechanism of global inflation to local inflation. In other words, once it became endemic, the prices started to go up because you know oil prices are fuel prices, fuel prices are transport prices, that becomes fruit and veg prices, that becomes, and around and around we go. It always felt to me like they were trying to almost, not quite preemptively because inflation was here, but just try and kind of remove the uh, the easy path for inflation to become endemic domestically because of those global pressures in the first place.
0: Yeah, no, you spot on, and the, the central element, yes, you know, in all this is inflation expectations. Uh, what the the Reserve Bank has said, yes, you know, sort of quite eloquently, yes, you know, sort of that if everyone, yes, you know, sort of believes inflation is five percent, what does inflation become? It becomes five percent. Uh, so what you do need to do is to be able to get, yes, you know, so that uh, those inflation expectations to have the confidence, yes, you know, sort of of. Of businesses, of um, individuals, and the like, saying, "No, this is a temporary situation. No, the true rate of inflation is two to three percent, um, and that's what we're going to f- factor in in terms of our decisions." And uh, unfortunately, that hasn't really occurred. We haven't seen that in terms of the wage setting. We haven't seen that in terms of uh, other prices, you know, and that's created a problem. The central banks have have basically, I think, come together, and this is an unstated. You know, so this is my view, I mean, yes you know, so as to whether you know, this is uh, the actual fact, but yes you know, sir so i'm I'm believing that central banks are acting very much yes you know, so like a group where yes you know, so one central bank such as Australia, we may pause for a month and yes you know, so say, right, we're not going to hike r- rates this month, the next month they come back and hike rates, and I think that's a policy or a procedure to keep people guessing, be able to say, well, no, inflation's not down to two to three percent yet, you can't rest easy. Uh, we're, we're still out there, you know, sort of fighting the inflation fight. And I think that's basically strengthening their ability to be able to get inflationary expectations down, you know, sort of, and they're doing it, you know, sort of in a way which um, is a little bit, you know, sort of um, uh, a little bit of a softly, softly, you know, sort of approach. But um, what the, the, the aim is to be able to get inflation expectations down and to keep, you know, inflation well anchored there for a 2 to 3%. Mm.
1: And it does seem like those inflation expectations are trending down, mate. I don't know if I've seen the most recent data, but it does. Maybe I'm looking at the thing about US data. Well, let me ask the question rather than assuming I know. Uh, is that working? Are Australians' inflation expectations rising or falling? Uh, are they low enough? W- what does that tell us about what the inflation outlook might be and what the RBA might need to therefore do?
0: Yeah, I think the the Reserve Bank has got some. Uh, it's got a battle on its hand. It's got a very significant battle on its hands. If you look at the, the ANZ Roy Morgan survey, and each and every week they come out with inflation expectations and it's stubbornly you know, so around about you know, sort of 5 5.5%. Five um, that's not the sort of thing that the Reserve Bank wants to see. It may be in terms of the financial markets, if we look at some of the measures there, that they're saying, no, this is a temporary you know, sort of situation, we'll get it down. But, you know, so they're not the ones that, you know, sort of go out there and, and um, pay the wages, you know, sort of set the rents. Know, sort of um, uh, form the the, the prices yes you know, out there uh, they may be fine in terms of uh, financial markets, but yes you know, so not in in a practical sense so um I think they've got some struggles on their hands um you know the recent wage is setting five and three quarter percent for award wages um that that is is something that um Clearly, the Reserve Bank you know, sort of rankled a little bit amongst the the Reserve Bank officials uh, that um, that such a high reading and you know, sort of it you know, underlined their concern. Well, we don't want to see a wage-price cycle. We don't think there's going to be one, but if there is going to be one, you know, sort of um, I, I can see where it's coming from. So, um, uh, wages is a, is a, a very very important measure. Of course, we do know in terms of services inflation too, and. Uh, and, of course, the strength of the job market you know, is something that uh, we've always got to come back to when we, we talk about you know, so what's happening with inflation and wages across Australia. There's, there's the the element you know, sort of that we have in terms of uh, a reasonably good economy and that's creating jobs and whatnot. But there's also the structural element of the, the baby boomers. The baby boomers are, are exiting the, the system you know, sort of now. I'm 61, so I'm one of the tail end of the baby boomers. And the next four or five years, you know, sort of I'm supposed to consider, you know, sort of um, whether I stay in the workforce or not, you know, sort of some would like me out of the workforce, you know, sort of <laughs> quickly, you know, sort of but, uh, I'm, I'm dragging my heels at the moment. But this is a structural, you know, element, you know, sort of so uh, we don't have big demographic groups coming through to be able to fill their places. So what we do have is uh, we've got um, unemployment rates like we saw in the 1970s which was you know, sort of before the baby boomers came through the system. And, of course, you know, so with um, the baby boomers coming through the system in the 80s and 90s and whatnot, we had um, uh, unemployment rates which were more likely five, six or sevens rather than threes or fours that we saw in the 1970s. So there's a structural element which is also a complication for, for the central banks as well, uh, not just in Australia but also it's happening in the US and the UK.
1: It's a fascinating time to be alive, mate. a fascinating time to be involved in, in trying to work out uh, what's happening in the economy. Uh, it, the, I mean, there's, there's so many different parts of, of the economy right now, mate. You know, we, we, the old two-speed economy line hasn't been used for a while. Maybe it's a three- or four-speed economy now. I mean, on one hand... We talk about the fact that you know, prices are, and they're not even necessarily not linked. We've got prices going through the roof across the board. Uh, wages, as you say, the award wage decision came through. Uh, also, probably should mention that there was a uh, bit of work done a couple of weeks ago. This week, as uh, we were recording a couple of weeks ago, by the time it goes to air, uh, the, the uh, wage increases for CEOs apparently was about 15%. So that was probably uh, probably not the not the uh, most obvious way to, to keep inflation under control either, uh, let alone award wages. Uh, you know, we've got we've got high inflation. People are doing it tough. At the same time, the economy, as you've already said, is, you know, we're we effectively full employment, lowest unemployment or close enough to it in 45 years. Um, we have, uh, you know, uh, we're adding jobs. Uh, business confidence is actually positive. Consumer confidence is deeply, deeply pessimistic. Um, lots of these moving parts that, you know, sound like different economies, but all exist at the same time. I guess I'll start with the the confidence thing, mate. Consumers are... As pessimistic as we've been for thirty years, business is saying actually no things are things are actually slightly you know I'm, I'm slightly positive, slightly optimistic. Are they both right? Can they both be right is one wrong? Are they are they measuring different things? What does it mean for the economy when you have consumers saying everything's going to be terrible? In theory, that as you say about inflation expectations, consumer confidence does drive our own behaviour. If we feel pessimistic, we don't spend because we're worried business on the other hand saying, nope, it's all good, we're still hiring, things are looking pretty good for us. Can you square that circle for me?
0: Yeah, I think this is more a matter of time rather than anything else and... If if I was to say yes, you know, sort of um, something that yes, you know, sort of businesses if they were as gloomy as consumers were, that that may be hastening yes, you know, the aspect of um, getting the the economy back to back to, to normal. So we need to see yes, you know, sort of more pessimism from from business. Um, i was saying that somewhat tongue in cheek, but yes, you know, so what we've seen in terms of business uh, this time around is when we have seen yes, you know, sort of higher inflation, and higher prices, or higher costs. Yeah, so what we're seeing is businesses have passed those through to consumers, um, and consumers are basically um, bearing yes the weight in terms of yes, the the higher levels of inflation, the higher cost cost of living. So businesses have been able to pass those those costs on. Now that's been the case up until now, but of course consumers are is reacting you know, sort of much more inwardly, you know, sort of now. Now they're much more securing, you know, sort of their, their spending and being very, very careful about their spending. Discretionary spending is basically all off the agenda and we're focusing very much on essentials. So what businesses are now in the focus of doing is say, look, we used to be able to pass on our costs. We're not going to be able to pass those on anymore because consumers are just not going to pay the prices. Uh, we've got to start cutting our expenses. We've got to start getting our wage um, bill down. And we are going to see over the next uh, couple of months, we are going to see a softening in terms of the job market. When we see that softening in terms of the job market, uh, that's going to further enhance you know, so the um, inflation-fighting credentials of those um, higher interest rates. So it's going to give them you know, sort of a little bit more more power. So I think it's a function of time rather than you know, sort of more, more than anything else. Uh, businesses have been able to pass it on. They're not going to be able to pass on to the same extent in, in the future. And as a result, um, what we're going to see is um, uh, the unemployment rate rising. And you know, sort of our expectation is... Um, we're around about 3.5% for the jobless rate at the moment. We may get that up to around about 4.5%. Now, 4.5% for a jobless rate is still a very, very good outcome if we think back you know, through history. But that softening of the job market, that reinforcing of you know, the slowdown in terms of consumer spending, um, less in terms of demand for, for, for goods and, and services – Therefore, prices come down and it will, you know, sort of provide further, further strength for those or added support for the interest rate to hikes that are being applied.
1: And that's, I think, the the, the key challenge, isn't it? I mean, at one level, uh, the, old, the old argument of, you know, we have to put people out of work so the economy can be okay is, is a tough one to, to discuss because on one hand, a growing economy has created those jobs in the first place. And again, as you say, even if we get to 4.5%, that would be a remarkably good Is that that a a peak forecast? I guess probably is my first question. But then the result of that is, you know, we're still in a very, very good position, historically speaking, when it comes to employment, if we do manage to hit that sort of level and tame inflation potentially without causing too much damage.
0: Yeah, we've got 4.4% by the end of this year, 4.7% the peak in mid 2024, and 4.5% in late 2024. So. Uh, around about those sorts of levels, around about 4.5%, 4.7% is the Commonwealth Bank group expectation for for, for the peak. So, um, yes, uh, we will see a softening of the the job market. And, of course, I suppose another complication that we haven't added to to this so far is the fact that – with the um, the ageing of the baby boomers, baby boomers moving out of the system, uh, businesses are still wanting to to fill the job vacancies, but there's no one around locally, and that's basically because of that structural element, um, Gen Ys and Zs and millennials, you know, sort of coming through to the same sort of level. So what we're doing is bringing more migrants in from overseas to be able to fill those job vacancies. And as a result, um, we've got workers coming in for, from overseas and uh, and, of course, they need to spend money, yes, you know, so they need to buy homes, they need to live you know, sort of somewhere, and that 's adding to the strength in terms of the housing market. so at a time when housing prices you think probably really should be falling, and rents perhaps you know, sort of should be falling we 've got that strong inflow in terms of population growth that we 're seeing uh, driving up you know, sort of rents driving up you know, sort of house prices, driving up you know, sort of the housing inflation and making it even more complicated for the central banks to get things under
1: control. Mate, I've got to ask you, uh, we're talking about getting central banks getting things under control, uh, I don't want to ask you to, to, to comment on stuff you don't feel comfortable commenting on I'll, I'll make a statement. You can reply as you respond as you need to. Um, we focus a lot on the central bank. Uh, by, by design and by necessity, uh, they are obliged to deliver certain outcomes or, or to attempt to achieve those outcomes by their mandate. We've had successive governments who have... I would argue left a lot of the heavy lifting to the central bank, where other policy tools could have been brought to bear uh, before, during, and after the the worst of the pandemic. Um, certainly, at this point in the in the cycle, uh, we are still running largely a, a deficit budget. There's going to be a very tiny surplus, but then back in a deficit again, which is is a stimulatory se- uh, setting. Politics aside, I don't really care about the party politics itself. What other what other tools are there? Should there be? Could there be? For governments to actually pitch in, or should they do it uh, to help the RBA in the achievement of this goal?
0: When you start um, interfering with the the, the economy, yes, you know, so the the equivalence between supply and demand, yes, you know, so then you can create you know, so other problems down the track. Um, uh, I, I think we've done seen it beforehand in terms of the global financial crisis. We've seen it before in COVID, where basically it's been monetary policy and fiscal policy working in unison. And uh, so they were very, very effective in both those times. Australia didn't go into recession in the global financial crisis. Um, we we, we entered a recession in COVID yesterday, and, of course, you know, so it would have been hard you know, so not to. But um, if anything, I, I think arguably that Australia was amongst the best, if not the best, in terms of the way that it um, dealt with COVID, came through the COVID times and came out you know, to the other, other side. So... Um, uh, I think perhaps yes you know, so they need to to uh, sit down together and work out you know, so whether fiscal and monetary policy can work in this sort of environment as well, dealing with a different sort of crisis in getting inflation debt back down to the two to three percent ban and dealing yes you know, with the, the cost of living and I, I do believe that there is a discussion to to be had or should be had between you know, so the the reserve bank and the government about you know, sort of ways that they can you know, sort of alleviate you know, so the issues. Yeah, um, in, in terms of uh, inflationary pressures because we do know, you know, so the energy prices, you know, sort of a very, very big impulse. Um, what we don't want to see is that we hand back so much to consumers that they say, oh, I'm okay now, and just <laughs> go spend. out there and keep exactly. spending. And that's the complication, you know, sort of, you can use, if you're trying to address the cost of living and get, giving people extra dollars, at the moment, we don't want them with the extra dollars. We want ordinary uh, households to be able to say, times are tough. We need to cut back in terms of spending. If we cut back in terms of spending and the economy sort of slows, guess what? We get inflation under control. But not everyone's thinking that way. They're thinking in terms of their own household rather than thinking about the good for the economy.
1: And I guess that is the challenge, right, with interest rates, because we know roughly a third of Australians rent, roughly a third own their own homes outright, and the other third. Uh, roughly, uh, pay a mortgage. When you put rates up, I mean, the small business gets hit as well. And there's, there's, there are flow effects through the economy. But we are having a very, very significant impact on, on some people. In fact, if you own your own home, and got money in the bank, uh, maybe for the Commonwealth Bank, you're getting a few more, uh, a few more dollars in interest than you were this time last year, and certainly a lot more than this time two years ago. Um, there's people who are benefited by rising rates. There are people who kind of shrug their shoulders, and say, it doesn't, doesn't impact me either way. And there's those who are saying, man, I'm I'm dealing with the pressure here. It's kind of always been thus. I mean, every every cycle, of the early 90s, again, it was today's boomers were then the the you know the mortgage payers, and, and around and around we go. But um, but it is worth thinking about. Is there a better tool, mate, for for demand management than interest rates?
0: Well, yeah, I suppose we haven't really yet seen it. Yes, you know, so we haven't seen yes you know, sort as of something which is novel and or innovative that is being yes you know, sort of applied. But um, um, it doesn't mean to say that you, know, you can't sit down and, and talk about these sorts of things during the um, the COVID yes you know, so emergency, certainly in New South Wales. Uh, one of the ways, you know, sort of supporting, you know, sort of um, individuals was to be give people, you know, sort of vouchers, the, the vouchers that they go off to the pictures or, you know, sort of have a meal or wherever it happens to, to be. Um, and it was done through a voucher rather than, you know, sort of cash and uh, where they could have spent it anywhere. They, they had those, you know, sort of dollars and they were allocated only in one particular area. And they could do that with energy costs now where they basically you know, provide, you know, sort of vouchers, you know, so rather than anything else. They have to be applied to your energy bill. Uh, they can't be you know, applied down at the supermarket or the liquor store or yes you know, to the gambling den or those sorts of things they they're done yes you know, so in that sort of, sort of way but um i suppose um you're right in terms of a third a third of third um, and uh, i suppose the other complication that we had during yes you know, to the covid times is that the pe- people couldn't go overseas they couldn't yes you know, to travel uh, even domestically uh, so they saved, you know, a lot of funds. And what we estimated, you know, so during the COVID emergency period, that something in the order of $325 billion worth, you know, sort of extra savings, you know, sort of occurred. Um, and that people are working on, those, working on those savings at the moment, you know, sort of chipping away at them and bringing them back down. So, again, it's a timing situation. We'd love to, for inflation to be... It's set back down to two percent, you know, so already, but uh, that's one of the complications in that. You know, sort of people have got themselves in a better situation during COVID. They were smart people. You know, sort of deleveraged. They got their debt levels down. They put you know sort of money in the in the bank, and now they're uh, actually working on those those savings to keep their standard of living at reasonable equivalents to to what it was, you know, sort of before. But um, those uh, savings will dwindle over time, and. Um, That's why I have got great confidence that central banks are going to be able to achieve their aim. They will get inflation sort of down. It's just going to take a little bit longer than what we what we hoped would occur right at the beginning.
1: Savings rate, the proportion of our income that we save, I think I'm right in saying was above twenty percent during the worst of that COVID uh, lockdown and the pandemic support, as you've already highlighted. The last GDP numbers, I think it was under four percent. Um and the long run average is closer to six. So you, you all know those numbers better than I do, but just, just a rough a rough thought. It, it does seem to me, mate, that I I think probably the RBA should have gone harder and faster at the time. But that aside, it's it seems to me it's only now, in June twenty twenty three, that the RBA's finally actually able to kind of make those finer transitions. There was so much work to be done to soak up that excess savings in total dollars and the savings rate, just the, the proportion of our income in, in the in the in the you know the, the current term we're saving it feels like it's only now they've got to the point where they've got us to that that knife edge moment where they really can now start to say good we've done the hard work we now can fine-tune things is that is that too trite an observation how, how close are we to that point of really now the rates having the desired impact and in a much more magnified way because we can't use those savings to, to kind of make up for what the rbo is doing to us
0: Well, I I suppose they always say, economists always say, it's uh, long and variable lags which are associated with with monetary policy. Uh, And we're seeing that at the moment. We've seen, yes, a significant increase in terms of the interest rates, four percentage points or or thereabouts. But only really two percentage points of that have really flowed through in terms of Constraining people's spending and the economy, and adding to people's um, uh, higher home loan repayments and yes, and the like. So we we do believe that yes, you know, so it's going to take a few months, even for the the past interest rate hikes to be able to work their magic in terms of slowing down the the economy. So it it is creating time, you know, the extra time to be able to get inflation under control. And as I mentioned, people are sitting on yes, you know, so the. The, the wall of, of funds which they they built up are uh, usually yesterday you know, sort of households each quarter something in the order of 15 billion dollars they they're saving uh, during the covid times it got up to the region of 70 to 80 billion yesterday you know, sort of quarter and now it's only coming back down to to normal now so really we've only seen one quarter, perhaps yesterday you know, sort of two quarters, around about one quarter where we 're seeing more normal levels of savings, so we haven 't gone into dis savings yet yesterday you know, sort of in a big way, and that 's something that we probably will see yesterday you know, sort of negative savings you know, will occur. Uh, the, the reserve Bank governor has already flagged that, unless people you know, sort of uh, uh, pull back the, themselves, they 'll see negative cash flows coming through by the end of this year.
1: Which, uh, which is as brutal as it sounds. Um, I, I'm fascinated too, mate. Speaking of tipping points, I, I don't do predictions, but I have said I think we are possibly past a, a particular tipping point when it comes to retail sales. We've seen over the past few weeks, again, we're recording this uh, in the middle of June, um, uh, Baby Bunting and Adairs, two ASX listed companies, I own shares in Adairs for full disclosure, um, that put out really disappointing sales updates. We saw David Jones, David um, Jones, some leaked data reported in the Australian newspaper, uh, really big week-on-week falls in sales, including 38% in one particular store, an average of 10% across their their network. And then your own numbers, mate, from the Commonwealth Bank, um, came out showing the, the household spending indicator, which was a growth of 3.1%, but really significant declines in, I think it was um, entertainment, travel, and clothing from memory. Um, and some of those numbers were down 6 or 8%. It just, it you know, as I said, the RBA is trying, you have said, the RBA is trying to get us to stop spending. It just feels like if you think about all those things together, discretionary spending kind of feels done at some level. I think, again, I guess I'll go back to the point I made before, but in a different direction, which is just, it feels to me like this is now when the rubber is really hitting the road in terms of what the RBA has been trying to get us to do.
0: Yeah, I think for for the next couple of months, yes, this is really the the big test in terms of the Reserve Bank and their inflation fighting uh, yes, abilities. They will want to see the the the, the big gains yes being um, uh, achieved in terms of inflation reduction, the disinflation, if you like, uh, being received over the this the second half of uh, 2023. Um, now, if we don't see that yes you know, sort of occurring in the next couple of months, yes you know, sort of then we're going to see higher and higher interest rates. And certainly our view is that it's a 50-50 call that we get another rate uh, hike in in July. Uh, We're certainly penciled one in for for, uh, August. Uh, So, yeah, we could get two more interest rate hikes. I think a lot of the economists around town yesterday have already come into line for that and saying, look, 4.6% 4.6% does look as though, you know, sort of the, the level, perhaps even, yes, you a know, 4.85%. Uh, of course, anyone like me was growing up in, yes, you know, the late 1980s, 90s, you know, sort of say that's not an interest rate. An interest rate, yes, you know, sort of was uh, 20%, yes, you know, back in those times. They were different times. But um, uh, certainly, yes, you know, sort of um, um, we do believe that, yes, you know, sort of we, we will see the the benefits, if you like, or yes, the, um, the the gains coming through from uh, uh, inflation over the next three to six months. It's As you say, that's where the rubber is going to be hitting the road over the next three to six months. And retailers are coming through this confessional period and uh, disclosing the fact that the one thing that you can hear a lot of. Yes, in terms of a word over the next couple of weeks, is challenging. <laughs> challenging, <laughs> yes, it
1: yes, is the key word that's going to be applied. Yeah, as a euphemism, or as, or as a genuine word, it's, it's, it's always euphemism for uh, bad, right, or, or, or negative, yes. or, or yes. things things are things are doing doing really tough. Let me let me then ask you, mate, as we kind of get towards the end of our, of our time, to to look forward for me. I, I mean, on one hand. We're seeing an inflation rate that's still six point eight percent on the last quarterly set of numbers that was released. We have unemployment at three point six percent at the time of recording. We have uh retail spending, particularly discretionary retail spending, seriously, I'll use the word that companies we use, challenged or challenging. Yeah. Um the RBA, despite all that, is probably gonna keep raising rates, as you suggest, two or three more times, perhaps, to get that inflation number down. But with retail spending already under some serious pressure. What does the, the back half of the year look like for, for the economy?
0: Uh, you know, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be you know sort of a uh, – this is where the risk of recession comes through. Um, uh, people are talking about per capita recession. So, of course, we've got, you know, strong growth in terms of um, population growth, so more and more people coming in, you know, sort of – and once you adjust for that uh, higher level of population uh, with the weak level of out- output, you know, so you are getting, you know, sort of – Declines in terms of um, uh, GDP per per capita, and you will have what's called a, a per capita recession. Um, I don't like the term. You know, sort of very much. You know, sort of are two distinct things which are occurring. You know, sort of, um, you know, the the population that's been required, you know, sort of to be able to produce the the goods. And inflation, yes, are coming from a whole range of different sources. But, um, you yeah, know, this, this latter half, second half of 2023, yes, it is where the rubber you know, hits the road. Um, and this is when we'll see you know, sort of the smart companies you know, sort of come to to the fore. You know, so those ones who have been successful, they've been successful in terms of their marketing, keeping their expenses down, um, trying to maximise, you know, sort of the profits, focusing on debt, keeping, your know, debt under control. We're seeing more and more companies already, you know, sort of saying that in terms of uh, the payout of dividend, we're going to pull that back to some extent. We want to get our debt levels down. We want to use those funds for, for other purposes rather than, you know, sort of paying it back in terms of dividends to, to, um, to shareholders. So uh, shareholders may find a degree of angst is coming through as well. Um, and... Um, uh, certainly you know, sort of retailers are going to be finding a degree of banks we we 're getting a little bit of a, a different um, sort of outlook in terms of the housing market. Certainly new building approvals you know slow down quite significantly, but with all the um, um, number of people coming in from from abroad you know so they 've got to got to have somewhere to stay, and I think we 're going to have a second leg in terms of the, the housing market and that may provide the soft cushioning for for our um economy over the next uh, three to six months uh, that we may see a stabilisation, perhaps an increase in terms of housing activity to, because it, it has to be. We, we need the, the houses to be able to um, uh, house all the, the extra migrants that are coming through. And um, um, uh, if we can get a soft landing for our economy, uh, that may be providing us one of the features for, for that sort of soft landing. And uh, at the moment, in terms of our forecast, we we're not predicting a recession. Uh, we do believe that the chances have increased somewhere to between 30 and 50%, uh, but we're not expecting a recession. We're expecting very, very weak um, quarterly growth rates, you know, some 0.1s, 0.2s, but it will improve as we get towards the end of this year and into 2024. And you know, for those people with um, a mortgage, you know, so I suppose we're going to leave them with a degree of um, bright hope. Our expectation at the Commonwealth Bank is... That we'll start to see rate cuts in 2024, uh, 125 basis points, one and a quarter percent in terms of rate cuts that we're predicting at the moment in 2024. It's it's a long way off, but um, we we believe that you know, the inflation fight will be uh, won um, over the next six months, and uh, then the Reserve Bank will be in a position in 2024 to get interest rates back down to a, a more stable, you know, sort of, and less. So less constrictive know, yes,
1: the level. I'm not sure how comforting a almost 50% chance of a recession prediction is, Craig, for, for many of our listeners, but <laughs> yeah. it's better than more than 50%. So I imagine almost everybody will take it. Of course, with an increase in unemployment, but a decrease in uh, in interest rates. Maybe this is back to the future, mate. This feels like what economies used to do when they were cyclical. We had 30 years of unbroken growth, um, uh, effectively pre-COVID. Even during that, realistically, we had a technical recession, but it was a, a strange old time and, and plenty of government support. Uh, this feels to me a little bit like going back to the future. Maybe the benefit of being uh, a little bit older than some and, and maybe having a couple of uh, runs around the block in terms of knowing what things do. Rates go up and down. Employment does the same thing. Uh, maybe maybe this is just a return to the old normal rather, rather than a brand new normal.
0: Yeah, people will certainly learn from this experience. I mean, um, uh, people, you know, they're, they're like... Uh, they're Late teens, twenties, yes, even in their thirties, um, before yes, COVID came around, they'd never seen a recession in their working lives, um, and COVID was a particular situation uh, where we saw that unemployment rate rise very, very quickly up to eight percent, and but before you know it, it, was back down to the levels of three to four uh, percent. So, um, yeah, people will learn that, yeah, as you say, yes, the interest rates rise and fall, the inflation rises and fall. There's cyclical nature, um, and um, This is how the economy, yes, it operates. And uh, um, in terms of um, uh, a knowledge base, yes, that will hold us in good stead for the next 30-year economic expansion, yes, that we're likely to go through.
1: Craig, I really appreciate you Joyce. Of course, you are, along with your colleagues, uh, part of the Listener Network through the ComSec Market Update. So if you're looking for a twice-daily podcast, jump on to Listener, grab the ComSec Market Update. You can grab it in all the other podcast locations as well. Craig, you've been very, very generous with your time, with your expertise. Uh, maybe we should catch up another year's time and, and see how things have, have panned out. I dare say it'll be fascinating. Uh, Craig James, Chief Economist from ComSec, thank you for joining me for The Good Oil.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden, and imaged by Link Kelly.